morning we're going to begin in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Last week was about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, we move on from that this week. But there are a few thoughts that we'll read today, and we'll see in God's Word today that would connect with that. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at many times and in many ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the Old Testament, the first covenant, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God spoke to us through them, through the prophets, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Moses, through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and David and Solomon and Zechariah and so forth. And you just go through the names of the Old Testament. That's how God spoke in times past. But now, He sent His Son. And He has spoken to us and is speaking to us through His Son, through Jesus. At this time. We read in the book of Proverbs, it says, Wisdom cries out in the streets. In the marketplace, in the alleys, everywhere, wisdom cries out. And God is speaking now through His Son and crying out, Be reconciled to God. Walk with me, come to me, and I will, I will take your burden, I will give you rest. I will help you. That message is crying out today to the four corners of the earth. Jesus said the message of the kingdom will be, spe- will be preached in the four co- to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And that is what's happening. The message of the gospel is being preached in the, to the ends of the earth. So the rest of the chapter is talking about the greatness of Jesus and how he is so much better than the angels. And then in verse in chapter 2 in verse 1, as we go to the next chapter in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed or pay the more earnest attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word... Pro- spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us, by those who heard him. God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of his own of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God has given us a great salvation. Spoken to us, that message given to us through his son and confirmed by the apostles and the disciples of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit that he did, the miracles that he did, and the answers to prayer he did, and he still does all these things. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God hasn't changed. But it warns us to pay careful attention to the things we heard, lest we drift away from them. And says, how shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? Just be careless about it. Lazy and sluggish is the word we read in later on in this book of Hebrews. Not to be lazy and sluggish, but to follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Not to be spiritually lazy. Not to be spiritually sluggish. But to be following. Following Christ. And those who God has spoke through. This salvation was spoken first through Jesus. We read his words in the gospel and then confirmed by the apostles and those who were with him. And the Holy Spirit also confirmed it by by the different signs and wonders and miracles which he did and does continue to do to this day. We may not see them, but God is still at work. Just because we don't see something happening. I mean, we, some of us see things happening, but even if we don't see it, does it mean it's not happening or God doesn't isn't at work and the Holy Spirit still isn't at work and still confirming his word. We read in the book of Revelation how God confirms his word in the future. We read how he did it in the Old Testament. He confirmed his word through, through, through his men of God, through the prophets, the men and women of God. And we read it the times of Jesus and the apostles God was confirming his word. And in the end times, God will confirm his word. He's not going to confirm his word at this time? Was this a black hole? Of course not. God is still confirming his word. Go on to verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, and crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might test de- taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for, for him, for whom all things, and by whom all things are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through, their suffer- through suffering. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to be called. He is not ashamed to call them his brothers. We all become one in Christ. When we are saved, when we come and believe the gospel, we be, and we we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit set apart, we become one in Christ. We who are Christ are all one. We are His body. We should consider ourselves that way and look at each other that way. We are part, we are part of one another in Christ. We also read that everything is being held up and held together by the word of His power. Until the day... And it says that he will cause the heavens and the earth to be made new, and the old heaven and earth will pass away. So we see the sun being held up there, that star 93 million miles away being held up there, and the moon being held up there encircling the earth every month. And we see the earth circling around the moon, the, the sun every year. And all these planets going around the sun and and we see all these stars being held up. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Oh yes, there is a God. And these things are being held up by the word of his power. The things just don't happen. The greatness of God's power and his majesty and his glory are demonstrated in nature and the things that he has created. It says the heavens, in the book of Psalms, the heavens have declared his handiwork. It's out there. It's demonstrated to us. In verse 14 of Hebrews 2, it says, Inasmuch then, as the children, children of God, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise in the same that through death he might destroy him who had power over death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage, slavery. For he indeed does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to become like his brothers, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those also who are tempted deliverance from the fear of death If we fear death, we haven't experienced deliverance. We're living in the fear of death. The Bible says that that's slavery. That's bondage. The fear of death. And the Bible says here that Jesus came and gave his life that he might destroy him who had power over death. That is the devil. If we are living in the fear of death, we're still in bondage and 
to some degree under Satan's control. Because in Jesus, we have freedom, liberty, if we believe it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Not bondage to the fear of death. Liberty. The liberty, the freedom of the children of God. That we might face death with courage, with bravery, without fear. Because we know who we believe in. We believe the Word of God. We believe in eternal life through His Son, Jesus. We believe these things. Therefore, we're not enslaved anymore. I remember being enslaved to the fear of death. And it was a nightmare as a young man not knowing the Lord. It was a total and complete nightmare. I didn't know if there was a God. I didn't know what the future hold, but I can tell you one thing for sure. I was extremely afraid of death. You would never have believed it by the way I lived my life, so reckless and careless. But at the same time, I was had such fear and paranoia about that extreme. But when I came to believe the gospel, it went away. It wasn't magic. It was through the knowledge that there not only there is a God, but God had a plan for me. And he would forgive that he forgave me. And that he accepted me. And that he would receive me. And I don't have to fear leaving this life. The fear of death no longer. He delivered me. And he's delivered many of us here from the fear of death. And the, that slavery to the fear of death. That what lies beyond. We're free. Jesus set us free. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. chapter before that is called the Hall of Faith. It's about all the different men and women of faith who lived by faith and the great testimony and witness that they have given. And then it continues on in chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The Old Old King James Version says, which so easily entangles us. And let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. In this passage, tells us we are surrounded by a great many men and women of faith who have given us a great witness, a great testimony. He says, since that's true, he said, let's set aside the things that are keeping us from running the race the way we should. Keeping us from drawing close to God and being filled with the Spirit, as we were talking about, being filled with the Spirit last week. So how do you become filled with the Holy Spirit? And Jesus said, come to me. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says in that passage, whom he would give to those who would believe. It's in John chapter 7. So, there is the promise of the Holy Spirit, or out of his innermost being, flowing a river of living water. Just a powerful testimony in the inner man of the presence and the anointing and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God, is how it's put in one place. But that doesn't happen by probability, a roll of the dice, it doesn't happen by chance. God is not a God of probability. It happens through following his leading and listening and following what he says. And we read here that if we are going to be what God has called us to be, there's certain things we have to lay aside. Let us lay aside things that are entangling us. I was pruning roses the other day at work. And if you've ever pruned roses or worked around roses, you know, you got all these branches that you cut off and everything, and they're in this big jumble in the ground and everything. Now you've got to pick these things up and try to put them in a cart or whatever you're going to do to haul them away. And as you're doing that, they're getting tangled over here, and they're getting tangled over here, and you're sitting there pulling them, and it's just this entanglement that you have to deal with. And so that's what it is when we are just following the leading of the flesh. Where it, get, it, it entangles us, it ensnares us, is how we read it here. And it prevents us to running the, from running the race the way we should. Another word it's using here is called weights, you know? And you can imagine having a shackle with a ball and chain all around your ankle and try to walk that way. And you're sitting there dragging this thing and dragging this thing and dragging this thing. 
Now, how are you going to win a race that way? Can you imagine running a race with a ball and chain with, with uh, shackled to your ankle? How are you going to run a race that way? Of course not. So it says to get rid of those ball and chains and those, those thorns that Jesus called the, the things of the, the cares of this light, the deceitfulness of the material and the flesh, and the desire for many things, the lust of many things, prevent us from being fruitful, bearing fruit ripening to perfection. Things that are preventing us from running the race the way we should. He says that we got to look to Jesus in that. Look at the life of Jesus. Look how he lived. And that's our model. That's our example. That's the way we should live, the way he lived. Some think that that's too extreme. Is it too extreme to live like Jesus? Well, the Bible says that those who <coughs> say they know him should live as he did. It's right, right there in 1 John. That we should walk, follow in his footsteps. It says in another place that we should follow in Jesus' footsteps. Walk as he walked. This is why we are born again. This is why God gives us His Holy Spirit when we're converted. To empower us. I used to go to churches that talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Kate and I went to churches and maybe you've been there too. Where they talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And to them the power of the Holy Spirit was just about miracles and signs and wonders and Making, making them rich, making us all rich and successful in life and feeding our flesh. All about the flesh. But we see here that the power of the Holy Spirit, although it may manifest itself in other ways, in miraculous ways, and, and uh, you know the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all those things are real. They're in the Bible, in the New Testament. And they're real. But... You know, there has to be a foundation that we have been given the spirit of power and love and self-control. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to us to control ourselves. You know, to be a testimony of the Lord and a witness of the Lord in power and of love and of self-control. And stability, soundness of mind. Not unstable and, and just being a mess all over the place. An emotional, mental, and, and, and spiritual mess. Holy Spirit was given to us for specific reasons. We talked about last week of, of guidance and teaching us and, and, and leading us and, and, and comforting us. It's very real. And our experience should be very real. It shouldn't just be doctrine and talk and preaching, but experience. 
as one brother called it, experiential. It's a $10 word for you there. Experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit on a personal level. Not just all the, you know, the, the, the glittering signs and wonders. Stuff that, like I said, I don't believe that that stuff isn't real at times. Some of it, some of the stuff that you might see on TV and some people talk about in churches, some of that seems to be more fake than real. Uh, but we're talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life. Self-control. We read here that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We read in Galatians chapter 5, it says that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and its lust, its evil desires. You know, crucifixion is a deliberate act. You see when they crucified Jesus, oh, they went through and did the whole thing. You know, they beat him up, they made him carry a cross, they carried all the way up there, and they put, they laid him on that cross on the ground, and they hammered nails into his hands and his feet, and they strung him up on that cross. That was a deliberate act. And Jesus endured all that for the joy set before him. The joy set before him was us, and saving us. And the joy set before us is salvation and knowing God and loving God and being with Him forever and God using us in our life and in the lives of others and to, to save not only ourselves but to save others. The joy set before us, we must endure the cross and crucify the flesh. And that's what we read here when it says... Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Laying it aside. Crucifying it. Putting it on the cross. Putting it to death. Those things are done one way and only one way. By the power, not of ourselves, but the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens is sometimes we start out the day, we call it starting out the day on the wrong foot as an example. You start out the wet day, you have an unspiritual mindset, you just let it go. You don't come to the Lord, you're in a hurry, busy, yeah, just go. How do I know this? I, well, I've gone through this. So it isn't just where everybody else goes. I go through this too. You have that bad day where you begin that way and you don't do anything about it. It just grows. And you're feeding your flesh all day with a bad attitude and you're feeding your flesh and just doing whatever you're feeding and feeding it all these different things and spoiling your flesh and pampering your flesh. And then, all of a sudden, we discover... We lost control of ourselves. Surprise! Just like the spoiled child. You just let it do it once, do it once, and one day that child will have control of that house. 
And then good luck getting control back. But God gives us the power and the authority to get control back again. Let's not be deceived. When we say stuff like this is too hard, do what God's will is, this temptation is too strong, you know, it's a lie. It's a deception. The power of God is able to bring us through everything. God will now not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear, but in every temptation, He will provide a way of escape so we'll be able to bear it. Every trial, every temptation, everything that we're confronted with, we are empowered to be victorious and to be overcomers no matter what we are confronted with. And when we are walking in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the enemy does not like it. And the enemy trembles and does everything to try to stop it. It's a war. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. <clears throat> Why did Jesus do what things he was told to do? Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I'm not speaking my words, but the words of the Father who sent me. Why did he do it? Because he loved the Father, he said. I always seek to do the things that please the Father. And why else did he do it? Because he's God. He loves us. He's a God of love. That's who he is. And as God changes us and converts us, it says he sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is one of the hardest things for us to really grab a hold of. That he is put his love in our hearts. He's put his love in our hearts. And when we are crucifying the flesh, we're able to abide in that love. When we are enduring the cross, laying down our lives, that love becomes evident in our life and that love that was put in our heart begins to be lived out. I remember talking to a Christian who had backslidden and I asked that person I was talking to that person and that person was talking bitterly about doing what God told them to do, and God didn't answer their prayer. And I said to that person, why did you do what God told you to do? Was it because you had to? Or because you loved God? And that person said, very bitterly, 
It was because I had to. That's a dis- that's someone in deception. That doesn't see God the way he really is. They've lost connection with God for who he really is. Because to know God is to love him. Apostle John said, We have know and if we have come to believe and know the love that God has for us. That is the message of the gospel. For God gospel, for God so loved the world. He loves us. That's why we declare it. But do we believe it in our hearts? And do we have that joy set before us? For the joy set before Jesus. Oh, it's there, set in front of us. We see it. Are we embracing it? Are we motivated by it? Is that what's making us tick? Is that what's propelling us? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of God, God, they say, compels us. It motivates us. When something compels you, it's like a this inner force that just drives you. I remember watching the movie The Ten Commandments. It's a movie about Moses and, and the children of Israel and Egypt and everything. It's probably about two thirds. 60, 65% factual. And some of it's just Hollywood. But I remember Moses was being confronted for killing the Egyptian slave master and he said, what I did, I was compelled to do. You know, you just something inside of you just like draws you like a magnet to do something. The love of God compels us, motivates us. Isn't that what Jesus said? I always do the things that try to please the Father. Because He loved me. And yes, we fear God. We're motivated by the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. Is that all there is? Just the fear of God? There's loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. And every other commandment after that was hinged on that one. We do those things because we love Him. And why do we love Him? The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us and gave Himself for us. It always comes back to one place, doesn't it? At the cross. That's where we first see the light, right? The cross. The cross of Jesus. Freedom, deliverance, God's love demonstrated to us. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. There are a great many discouraged Christians in our time. This is that time. This is that challenging time called the last days. Or the last times. The time before Jesus' return. It's, it's out there. Jesus is returning. You believe it, you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. It's happening. It's going to happen. And we're called to be ready and be watchful and waiting. Be ready. But yet, as we're called to be ready, it is a challenging time. We must continue in the things we have heard, that we've told, lest we drift away from them. Jesus loves us. He's given his life for us. We live for him because we love him. And that's why we do what we do, because he's put his love in our heart. Through the, through the Holy Spirit. If He's given us the Holy Spirit, if we are born again, if we have been converted and have become like a little child, as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is living in us. We have become a new person in Christ. And He has put His love in our hearts. And so, if we live in the Spirit... Paul says, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the love that's been shed abroad in our heart. And, and let us also walk in the power and the anointing and the authority of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us.